The Blunt Post with Vic. Good morning and welcome to The Blunt Post with Vic. I am your host, Vic Jaramie, the editor and publisher of The Blunt Post. The Blunt Post with Vic is a program that covers national breaking and headline news, offers analysis and commentary, and I interview members of Congress and other high-profile public figures. Following the news today, I have two very special guests. First, I interview Ambassador Dr. Armen Beburtian, Consul General of Armenia in Los Angeles. Next, I chat with Alex Grunenfelder, Echo Park Neighborhood Council member and a candidate for the mayor of Los Angeles. Here are some news headlines. The U.S. has surpassed 20,000 new COVID-19 cases for the fourth day in a row as the highly contagious Delta variant persists in its track in being the most common form of coronavirus in the country. Dr. Rochelle Walensky, who heads the U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, said Thursday that more than 9 million people live in counties where cases are rising and where the vaccination rates are lower than 40%. Overall, 47.8% of the U.S. population is fully vaccinated, while 20 states have fully vaccinated more than half of their residents. A statue of Confederate General Robert E. Lee was hoisted away from its place of prominence in Charlottesville on Saturday and carted off to storage years after its threatened removal became a rallying point for white supremacists and inspired their violent 2017 rally that left the woman dead and dozens injured. Charlottesville Mayor Walker gave a speech in front of reporters and observers as the crane neared the monument. He said, taking down this statue is one small step closer to the goal of helping Charlottesville, Virginia and America grapple with the sin of being willing to destroy black people for economic gain. The House on Thursday approved an approximately $715 billion transportation infrastructure plan that would build and repair roads, bridges, and rail systems around the country. The bill forms the House's framework for President Biden's infrastructure plan. While the proposal is likely to change during negotiations with the Senate as it progresses toward Biden's desk, the bill includes $920 million specifically targeted to projects throughout California. President Joe Biden has nominated Los Angeles Mayor Eric Garcetti to serve as ambassador to India, the White House said Friday, selecting a high-profile ally to serve in one of the most difficult diplomatic posts. Garcetti, if confirmed, would be dispatched to India as it has been overwhelmed by a surge in coronavirus infections and deaths. He would also become the first LA mayor to voluntarily leave office early in more than a century. For more news items and opinion pieces, please visit thebluntpost.com and follow me on Twitter at Vic Jarami. That's at V-I-C-G-E-R-A-M-I. Thank you. The Blunt Post with Vic. Ambassador Dr. Armen Beyburtian has held the position of Consul General of Armenia in Los Angeles since September of 2018. He also holds the title of the first Armenian Consul General in Los Angeles. He was Professor of Political Science at the University of Massachusetts Amherst for five years. He had worked earlier at the United Nations as senior advisor to the UN resident coordinator. Ambassador Beyburtian served twice as the Armenian deputy foreign minister, simultaneously being the chief negotiator with the European Union. Dr. Beyburtian holds two PhDs in international studies and modern world history. Good morning, Ambassador Beyburtian. How are you this morning? Good morning. Good morning. Very good. How are you? I am well, thank you. I'm very excited and grateful that you've taken the time to speak with me and be on the show to discuss um, so much that's been happening in in Armenia and uh, Artsakh, also known as Nagorno-Karabakh to some people. And, uh, you know, you have a unique perspective um, on all of that. So I want to dive right into it and ask you, 
what is your perception, what is your impression of where we stand now after the September 27th of last year's genocidal attack and ethnic cleansing that was orchestrated by uh, Azerbaijan and aided by Turkey um, and its aftermath, and some of it still continues. Thank you very much for your question. So um, last year, uh, Artsakh, as we Armenians call it, and Nagorno-Karabakh, as internationally it is uh, accepted the term, um, uh, was um, attacked by Azerbaijani forces um, supported by Turkey. And it was an aggression, aggression, um, against the Armenian population of Artsakh. As a result, so very many people were killed, thousands of wounded, people were deprived of their shelter, uh, they were remo removed from their lands where they lived for millenniums, for centuries, and, and uh, as a result, we have today also continuation of Azerbaijani encroachment, not only uh, in Artsakh, but also on the borders with Armenia. And um, Armenia makes a lot of efforts to uh, stabilize the situation. And Russia deployed peacekeepers in Artsakh itself, but also uh, on, the, on some areas in the border uh, of Armenia with Azerbaijan. This process uh, still continues and it is not stable yet because of several reasons. And the overarching reason among all uh, those um, reasons and um, factors is that Azerbaijan holds Armenian prisoners of war in Azerbaijan, refusing to return their, them as the international law requires uh, to immediately return all the prisoners of war, but they don't do that. And um, uh, small groups returned and the um, latest good news was 15 um, POWs returned to Armenia, but otherwise the rest, and where we talk about um, big number, more than 100. We don't even know the exact number of POWs held in Azerbaijani prisons, um, so still are there. And some were executed. We know that boldly. There are videos available that were made by Azerbaijani troops, sadly. Uh, and some are tortured, mutilated, including women. So it's a very sad situation. So next I want to ask you about, you know, we've all from different groups and different positions, we've all had a big challenge. Me as a journalist and an activist, my challenge has been to sort of get the international uh, media outlets and, and press to cover this story and to cover it responsibly without bias and propaganda that uh, Azerbaijan's put out there. However, you as the ambassador for the Western region of the U.S., the Armenian ambassador for the Western region, what has been and still continues to be challenges that you have faced in regards to this issue? Uh, yes, so um, dissemination of objective information is very, very important. And what we witnessed during the war, um, uh, in the fall of uh, fall and winter last year, basically the fall and the continuation process. And it was a evolving situation that I would like to share with you. Initially, uh, the information, in my firm opinion, was not spread objectively, disseminated objectively about the war. So the aggressor was not called aggressor, though... Um, based on all attributes of aggression of, against um, an entity um, were present, but uh, the um, atrocities and the crimes that were committed, including uh, some actions that uh, can be qualified as uh, crimes against humanity and war crimes, 
So, um, but um, very often uh, media didn't uh, present the events this way, just um, uh, putting also the, the sign of equality between the sides of the conflict, though one was the victim of aggression, the other one aggressor, you never can put a sign right. of equality. But that was the case. But uh, it started to evolve at some point in terms of um, presenting more factual uh, facts and um, um, objectively starting to um, present the, the war situation and the developments on the battleground and also positions of uh, the countries, etc., etc., meaning all the factors relating to the war. And uh, I cannot tell that um, it was completely objective by the end of the war or in the post-war period. And the war lasted from uh, September 27th to November 9th, but, um, but uh, last year, 2020. Uh, but um, uh, I see the evolution. Yeah. But, um, uh, but the conclusion is that, uh, of course, uh, Azerbaijani propaganda machine was trying to present Mm -hmm. This not as a self-defense of uh, people who were attacked, but as uh, uh, victims themselves, as aggressors. And uh, mm -hmm. it took time until very many media outlets could um, and were able to uh, to understand the depth of the reality. Absolutely. I, I completely agree with you. You touched on some important points. This is The Blunt Post with Vic on KPFK 90.7 FM. I am your host, Vic Jarami, and you are listening to my interview with Ambassador Dr. Armen Beyburtian, Consul General of Armenia in Los Angeles. One thing that people don't realize, most people, is that months Leading up to the attack, Azerbaijan hired six lobbying firms in Washington, D.C. and public relations firms to, to control and to tilt the narrative to their advantage with all the Azerbaijani Caspian oil money. A lot of even media outlets were pursued to write pro-Azerbaijani stories. Uh, I read some of them. I, I couldn't believe it. The New York Times was a huge offender of that. So is BBC. Guardian, I have to give them kudos. Guardian has written some good pieces, uh, as well as Forbes. The other thing that you um, mentioned, which I think is really important, is this both-sidedism that's applied. And it's not just in media, where certain journalists think that they have to apply both-sidedism, or sometimes called false balance, to say, you know, here's this side, but then there's this other side. Because if in some cases, one side's crimes in this situation, Azerbaijan, is so much greater that it's, uh, it's, just, it's just not right. It's not ethical to, to do that. I also hear both sideism and false balance from officials. Um, Anne Lind of OSCE is one that... You know, I hear this from some representatives of the European Union also do this sort of both sidedism thing. That's very, it's very disheartening. So, yeah, you touched on that. And that's been sort of a, <laughs> that's been a, you know, a trigger point for me because I read it and I just see the absurdity behind it. Speaking of, well, we, we talked about your general challenges. How about with just in the U.S. itself? or even your region, the Western region, what have been some sort of roadblocks or challenges you've had here in the U.S.? As far as uh, the last year's war and aggression against Artsakh is concerned, so uh, we already touched upon this um, um, objective dissemination of information that um, that is always uh, important. And um, until today, actually in the post-war period. So there are developments on the ground. There are uh, also attempts by Azerbaijan to uh, seize uh, the territory of Armenia, which is interna internationally recognized, and also some shootings um, um, and also kidnappings of Armenian soldier that, uh, soldiers that continue 
So uh, it is very important that um, in the United States, uh, media presents in a right way, objectively, uh, the truth. And people knowing this, um, the reality, uh, it's, it's, it's very important for us also in terms of morale, but also in terms of uh, stopping the aggressor from further actions. That matters, and uh, the United States is a key power in the world um, for for the purpose of stopping this um, all aggressions, along with other OSC uh, co-chairs. As uh, as it is well known, the United States is one of the three co-chairs, along with Russia and France, that negotiated for years the resolution of the Nagorno-Karabakh conflict as mediators and um, they are co-chairs within the framework of organization on security and cooperation in Europe. And talking about my other challenges, I would say um, that uh, uh, establishment of very strong relations, further development, because I would say that relations uh, between the states of California, Washington, Oregon, Arizona uh, are already there uh, with Utah. We are actively developing, establishing relations on the state level, counties, cities level, uh, developing um, business between our two, um, the country and uh, the state, two counterparts, uh, presenting Armenian culture, um, Armenians as a community are well known in the Western United States and I would uh, say in the entire country nationwide. But at the same time, we meet constantly to present our culture, to present um, the you know, innovation that the, the, this, uh, the, this community and people carry, that's the spirit of innovation, uh, the spirit of hard work. This is very, very important also for me because the positioning of the nation in the Western United States, I would say, uh, is uh, is a priority for me. Positioning, there is another word for this, branding of the nation is very, very important. And uh, this is something that comes in a very natural way because of, because of uh, all the qualities that the Armenian community has. And the Armenian community became an integral part of a very diverse community, for example, in California, Southern California, Los Angeles, and, and this is really amazing. And uh, building bridges um, uh, in terms of trade economic relations, in terms of investments between California and uh, Armenia is an, another, um, not I would not say challenge, but uh, another overarching task of the Consulate General of Armenia here. And um, at the same time, I should say that um, referring again to the last year's war and the post-war situation that the city of Los Angeles, for example, which is the second largest and most populous city in the United States, after New York, so adopted several resolutions on the war condemning condemning uh, the aggression against Nagorno-Karabakh, even um, declaring November 9 when the um, statement was signed, uh, which ceased the hostilities signed by three uh, parties, meaning Armenia, Azerbaijan, and Russia. But this very day, in memory of all um, uh, victims, Armenian victims, uh, soldiers, civilian population that was uh, killed in the war, also declaring this day um, a memorial day, which is this is very, very important and encouraging. So we, we know that uh, the United States and the people in California are supporting us and this way are supporting the truth. Absolutely. Taking aside, but they are supporting the truth. Absolutely. It's, um, it is very important to note those things, you know, 
as well as all the cities and states throughout the U.S. and throughout the world, too, uh, notably in France and Italy, but in the U.S., too. So many cities and states have recognized the independent republic of Artsakh, and uh, I'm happy to say that I was uh, a part of uh, that. Um, I initiated the recognition of Artsakh uh, in the city of West Hollywood, as well as Burbank. So you're right, people in the Western region that, that have large Armenian communities, people are with us, they support us, they march with us on April 24th for the uh, Armenian Genocide commemoration. Um, so you have, a, you have a huge task, your position is so vast and such, but um, I'm, it's good to hear that, you know, even with Utah, you're working with Utah and such. Um, that's exciting. This is The Blunt Post with Vic on KPFK 90.7 FM. I am your host, Vic Jarami, and you are listening to my interview with Ambassador Dr. Armen Beiburtian, Consul General of Armenia in Los Angeles. But I want to also ask you, like, are, is there any good, I mean, you know, we know about the latest 15 Armenians that were uh, freed. Uh, of course, it wasn't... Um, it came with a price. Uh, it was a negotiation. But uh, is there any good news that you can share with us? Uh, uh, in, in the, the good news, I would say, is that uh, the hostilities stopped on, on the large scale. That I would consider a good news. But uh, uh, until the prisoners of war uh, are not returned, so we cannot... Um, uh, see many good news in, the, in those developments, um, sure. but um, we need um, a lasting peace uh, in the region uh, to enable uh, people of Artsakh and Armenia to 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 labor to 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 create um, as they were doing for um, centuries, and more importantly, um, when we talk about good news. I would mention that a lot of things also happened here in California. And um, it was amazing, fascinating what the Armenian community, and not only the Armenian community, but very many local communities joined Armenians in extending helpful hand to those who were in need during the war. That was something really Absolutely. amazing. You know well that. And so, um, and um, um, that. It, it is very important that this spirit um, remains uh, and the Armenian community here in California moves forward. Uh, on July 11th, there is an important event, uh, which is the uh, inauguration, not inauguration, but uh, it's the uh, stone laying a foundation stone laying ceremony for the Armenian American Museum in Glendale, in Central Park of Glendale. This is a um, uh, milestone event. Uh, I would say not only for the Armenian community, and first of all for the Armenian community, but but also uh, I would say for the entire city of Glendale and California, because. Armenians will have a modern museum, which is very diverse in terms of topics that the museum is going to cover. But in addition to this, this museum is, I would say, it's a combined effort, effort of the entire community and also the county of Los Angeles, the city and the state supported very strongly this endeavor. So this is one good news that uh, this museum uh, will also allow to present uh, Armenians, Armenia and Armenians as people, including the community in California, in a, in a I would say in a um, 3D or 12D dimensional way, which is very, very important. Good way of saying, putting it. Yeah, it is very exciting. Absolutely. Before we go, I want to ask you, is there a question that I should have asked you that I didn't? Or is there anything that you'd like to add 
Um, I would um, say um, um, uh, on a, glo a global scale, as far as uh, the U.S. position relates, I want to add the following, that um, in the uh, period when the COVID situation uh, more or less stabilized in the United States due to the vaccination process, and also um, after the elections when um, in the U.S., uh, when the, uh, the country was able more focus on the situation in the region of the South Caucasus and the conflict of uh, Nagorno-Karabakh, we see more engagement of the United States and the willingness to continue negotiations on Nagorno-Karabakh within the framework of OSC Minsk group. That's a very uh, important and positive factor for the uh, resolution of the conflict and bringing uh, stability into the region. And, and also, um, um, I cannot refrain from mentioning the, the fact that by the statement of President Joe Biden on the recognition of the Armenian genocide of 1915 and the previous uh, resolutions adopted by the House of Representatives and also the Senate and the United States. So the complete uh, international perception of the genocide uh, changed. It was altered. Not only uh, and we are talking about this important development in the United States, but in the world. And the Armenian genocide as uh, crime, not only about against the Armenian nation, but against humanity, is now more acknowledged in the world, and um, um, more support will be generated for uh, uh, the uh, further recognition process. Okay. And in terms of the U.S. position, also I like to mention Section 907 of the Freedom Support Act um, that was adopted actually in 1992, just uh, immediately after the independence of Armenia in 91. Uh, it's the, uh, according to uh, this Freedom Support Act, the United States was uh, supporting uh, newly emerged countries in the post-Soviet space. And uh, this um, Section 907 banned any kind of uh, U.S. aid to the Azerbaijani government as far as Azerbaijan was uh, uh, imposed blockade, uh, was um, cutting off all the communication routes and imposed blockade on Armenia. But what happened later on uh, in uh, 2001, the Senate adopted an amendment to the act that provided president with the ability, U.S. president, to waiver Section 907, and it's being done so since then. But uh, when uh, assistance to Azerbaijan, especially military assistance, is used, and we are not talking about um, just humanitarian, is used uh, for the purposes of uh, aggression against another country, I think that, that this... Uh, this approach should be revised, and I am sure that uh, um, both the, the Congress and also the executive will um, take a very careful look at the situation and will act upon. I, I agree. There was a huge disappointment that a week after President Biden kept his promise of recognizing the genocide properly by the proper uh, terminology of Armenian genocide, he turned around and waived Section 907 and uh, uh, and continued the aid to Azerbaijan. I think it was really disappointing for me um, of President Biden as well as Secretary um, Blinken. Uh, and I'm glad that the that Congress is taking steps to uh, remedy that. And so we hope for the best. And uh, with that, um, Ambassador Beiburchan, is there um, anything you'd like to add, a call to action perhaps? Uh, I would say that, uh, uh, you know, it's, uh, Armenia is a remote country for the United States. But at the same time, 
Armenia is well known to the people in the United States. Armenia is known as a country that um, suffered a lot throughout its, its history, but also uh, it is known that the Armenian community also contributed to the advancement of uh, the United States as a country and continues to do so. Uh, and um, my call and my desire is that uh, the relations between the United States and Armenia uh, enhance in a very steady way, enhance in a very uh, a firm way uh, based on the foundations, very many foundations that we spoke about. So uh, I am very much optimistic in terms of um, uh, our vision of the relations and uh, I'm uh, confident that we will be able to achieve the goals that we have and see uh, the relations that are already prospering but also between our two countries but stronger and stronger and California uh, for us in the United States is a backbone of our relations I would say. Thank you. Well said. Thank you very much, Ambassador Vebertian, for um, for your time, for being on the show. And um, perhaps I will see you on Sunday at the ground opening or the groundbreaking of the museum. I really appreciate your time. Thank you very much. Thank you, Mr. Girami, and uh, uh, my appreciation to you. That was Ambassador Dr. Armen Bebertian, Consul General of Armenia in Los Angeles. Uh, thank you, Ambassador, for taking the time to be on The Blunt Post with Vic. Uh, I can only imagine how busy you are with uh, all your undertakings. Uh, much appreciated. The Blunt Post with Vic. Born and raised in Los Angeles, Alex Grunenfelder serves as an Echo Park Neighborhood Council member and is a candidate for the mayor of Los Angeles. Since attending UC San Diego, Alex has worked on campaigns at the state, local, and federal levels focusing on crafting progressive policy. Alex co-founded the organization Survivors Power in support of victims of sexual violence. In this role, he organized the national walkout on October 12th and the stigma of reporting sexual misconduct, harassment, assault, and abuse. Alex is a member of the Democratic Party. Good morning, Alex. Thanks for being on The Blunt Post with Vic this morning. How are you today? Thank you so much for having me. I'm having a great morning so far. How are you? I am well. I'm excited and glad to be talking to you about Los Angeles and uh, your campaign to become uh, possibly the next mayor of Los Angeles. Yes, it's very exciting. We have been in the race for about two and a half months now and really want to bring progressive ideals from the streets and protest right to City Hall. Let's, um, Alex, for those who don't know you, you know, although I just read your bio a little bit, but it's better to uh, hear it from you. Just uh, give us a little bit of background about, uh, about you, uh, some personal and also, of course, your career. Absolutely. Well, I'm a native Angelino. I was born and raised here in Los Angeles. I grew up in the Silver Lake neighborhood. I've lived in Echo Park for the past number of years. I serve as an Echo Park neighborhood councilman and have been extensively involved in community politics as an organizer, as a both as a protest organizer and as a community organizer. Uh, starting as a teenager, young teenager, I started working on campaigns, political strategy for local progressive grassroots candidates. Began when I was in high school to work with community organizations, ended up co-founding and leading an organization called Survivors Power, which worked to provide resources for survivors of sexual violence, largely at Los Angeles public schools. I was a public school kid here in LA. And now I'm running for mayor because I feel that I'm uniquely qualified having worked with community organizations, having worked with protest groups, with youth advocacy groups, that 
I bring a different perspective to this mayoral race. And rather than having decades of City Hall not getting much done, I've been advocating directly for the progressive solutions that we can use to solve homelessness, to reform the police, to stop corporate welfare, and to support everyday Angelinos. Uh, well, thank you for that. That was a, a very good introduction. Let's break that down because I have a few questions. So obviously, we don't need to make it clear that you are a progressive Democrat that uh, you mentioned. Um, and you also mentioned some of the things that are important to you. I want to go back and ask you sort of a general blanket question about your what's your perspective on the state of Los Angeles as of today? I think the way I see Los Angeles is as an amazing world-class city, but that's not living up to its potential. And I think that Los Angeles at the moment is really a broken city because of the failed promises of leadership. You know, here in L.A., part of our problem isn't just more conservative, moderate policies that haven't gotten things done that are bad or negative, but it's just negligent politics. And I think the biggest issue on voters' minds has been shown time and time again Surveys published in the L.A. Times showing two-thirds or more of Angelino voters have homelessness as the number one issue on their mind. We are seeing urban decay here in Los Angeles in a very, very direct, visceral sort of way. And so for me, I don't think Los Angeles needs to be forever broken. The problems that we're having here in Los Angeles are directly human-caused, society-caused problems. And therefore, as human problems, they must have human solutions. So although I think Los Angeles is broken, largely because of failed leadership, negligent leadership, I think if we can come together as a city, we can make it better in a strong, impactful way. Okay, well said. So let me ask you this. Mayor Eric Garcetti is sort of tapped out he can't run again and you are you know you're running with uh, multiple um, other candidates uh, let me ask you how do you think that how do you think mayor garcetti has done so far i think mayor garcetti encapsulates some of those main problems specifically in that i think that mayor garcetti has had ups and downs in terms of his focuses. And there are moments in which Garcetti has stepped forward as a leader. But overall, I believe that Mayor Garcetti has been negligent, especially toward the homeless crisis. Under Mayor Garcetti's tenure, we've seen homelessness increase by 80%. And that's just unacceptable. And even as we're seeing homelessness increase across the country, that's more than we're seeing in most other places. Now, I also think that there are times where Eric Garcetti has been corrupted by special interests. Last summer, during the protests after the murder of George Floyd, we saw Eric Garcetti considerably siding with the interests of the police union and not with everyday Angelinos. So overall, I think Garcetti's tenure has done overall negative, but not just for the fact that he has made some corrupt decisions, but it's also because he hasn't focused on the issues that are truly important to everyday Angelinos, and that's why I'm running. I want to put leadership at City Hall that's actually going to solve the issues that matter day to day to Angelinos and to do it in a compassionate, progressive way defined by the people and not special interests. This is The Blunt Post with Vic on KPFK 90.7 FM. I am your host, Vic Jorami, and you are listening to my interview with L.A. mayoral candidate Alex Grunenfelder. You mentioned about the last year's protests after the murder of uh, George Floyd. And uh, so I want to ask you, and I know that w one of the things that's important to you is criminal justice reform. So I kind of want to see what your perspective is uh, of our new district attorney, uh, George Gascon, because he too is very 
uh, progressive and big on criminal justice reform. How do you feel about uh, Gascon's sort of platform and what he's doing right now? I think George Gascon at the moment has become a, in some ways, strangely divisive figure. But from my perspective, I think that a lot of George Gascon's root goals are very strong, you know. I was a volunteer, just an everyday volunteer on George Gascon's campaign because I thought that we needed to bring those ideas, those ideas of criminal justice reform, prosecutorial reform to the district attorney's office. And while I can't be totally happy with anything that a politician does, he can't be happy 100% of the time, I've overall been really satisfied by policies like working to end cash bail stopping prosecuting for the death penalty. These are good policies. And right now, George Gascon is facing a potential recall, which I oppose. Uh, I understand that there's a lot of fear here in Los Angeles and in the surrounding cities about crime, about problems. But I think overall, George Gascon is doing a very good job, doing much better than his predecessor, Jackie Lacey, who I was very mobilized to get out of office, and I oppose the recall against it. Okay. So let me ask you this. We talked, you know, you talked about homelessness. I want to hear a little bit more in detail as to what you would do differently to address the, the issue of a lot of unhoused people. I think a big chunk of what we need to do, and I've been sitting down with a lot of experts in the field, a big chunk of what we need to do is we need to take this idea of housing first policies, which has become almost a buzzword under the Garcetti administration, and we need to actually apply it and get it done. The problem is we do not have the beds here in Los Angeles that we need to for bridge housing and permanent supportive housing that have been promised. But that doesn't mean we can't. What we have right now is a system that is controlled largely by developers who give large donations to the people in power. When it costs hundreds of thousands of dollars a minute, not only is it going to take longer and line the pockets of developers, but it's causing some people to think we can't build more housing. And just the other day, I was down at the Hope of the Valley tiny house community, which was just built right. thanks to funding from the city of Los Angeles and Reseda, and they're making units for about $30,000 a piece compared to the hundreds of thousands the city is spending. And part of that also has to do with where are they being built. And so a big part of my plan is that our city owns a grand amount of vacant lots, of vacant property. The state of California, largely through Caltrans, owns a number of vacant homes that are not going to use. So we should take our vacant property, we should do an audit, take stock, go and take those vacant lots, turn some of them in a temporary way, in a safe campsite, so that we can get people, first and foremost, off the street into safer environments. And then we can begin to put more funding, more resources into bridge housing and into permanent supportive housing in a way that's actually fueled by the housing experts in the field. And alongside that, we really need to double down on putting forward support for drug and alcohol rehabilitation and for mental health care. Because there are a lot of people who are coming to the streets as a result of addiction or mental illness. But in addition to that, the longer you spend on the street, the more likely it is you're going to suffer from one or both of those problems. So we need to, one, be building more housing for people. Two, we need to bring people into City Hall who know how to handle these issues rather than the politicians who have been trying to handle it. And three, we need to actually put the money towards services in mental health care and drug and alcohol rehabilitation so that we can get people on track and happy and healthy so that they can live stable, comfortable lives here in Los Angeles.
Very well. So let me ask you this because you, you spoke about developers and developer money has been a problem in uh, many other cities as well, especially especially around Southern California. West Hollywood is one where developers have a lot of say and uh, sort of fund a lot of the candidates. Um, do you not take any money from developers or plan to? I have not taken any money from developers. I do not plan to take money from developers. I'm not a special interest candidate, period. I'm not taking money from big corporate PACs. I'm not taking money from the police. I'm not taking money from real estate developers or lobbyists. You know, from my perspective, grassroots campaigning isn't just something that you get to claim and stamp on something and accept a simple pledge, but then try to get around it as much as possible. For me, I don't like the idea of any special interest being able to control City Hall. What we're doing is grassroots, the people-powered movement. And when we, especially at a time where we need to be building more in order to house the tens of thousands of unhoused neighbors on our streets, we can't afford to have politicians who have made millions of dollars from developers, whether the corrupt way, in the explicit sense, like Jose Rizar, who took something like $1.5 million cash in bags in front of City Hall and is currently under indictment, or the everyday kind that we're seeing a lot of on the city council right now. So... No, we do not take developer money. We don't take special interest money of any. We plan to keep it that way. Thank you for for that. That was uh, that was uh, good information. I, I'm sure everyone who's listening is going to appreciate that. This is The Blunt Post with Vic on KPFK 90.7 FM. I am your host, Victor Rami, and you are listening to my interview with... L.A. mayoral candidate Alex Grunenfelder. So next I'm going to ask you if to talk to an average Angelino, not me, and tell them why they should vote for you, just one-on-one. I've had the great opportunity in my campaign so far to speak with a lot of Angelinos. The reason that I am running in this race is because I am concerned with the same critical issues that you are. We are all seeing the consequences of failed policy. We're seeing it when we pass tents on the sidewalk. People who most of us are sympathetic to, but we don't know what to do. We don't know how we can systemically solve the problem. We think about the fact that the largest civil rights movement in the history of the United States was last summer, after the murder of George Floyd, after the murder of Breonna Taylor. And millions of us marched in the streets, and we didn't see action on truly reforming the police. We continually see, as promises are made, and those promises are not kept, And these promises aren't being kept because the same people who have been in power, who haven't solved these crises, are ill-equipped to solve them now. My background as a community organizer, as the former head of a community organization, as a social justice advocate, as an Echo Park neighborhood councilman, and now as a mayoral candidate, I am running because I am an everyday Angelino. I'm running because I'm young, because I'm a freelancer, because I'm someone who doesn't have this extensive background of fucking up to special interests at City Hall. I'm asking for your vote because our city needs to change and because a message that has worked in the past Keeping things on track just won't work anymore because the train has derailed here in Los Angeles. So when you vote, when you consider your vote until the primary in about 11 months, I ask you to consider how much better our city can be without homelessness, 
without police violence, without corporate welfare, with more money for social services, and all of this in a way that doesn't raise your taxes as an everyday working Angelino. We can change this city for the better. We can only do it together. Thank you. And I hope I can count well, on your vote in the primary. Well said. Thank you, Alex. So before we go, how can people get in touch with you? Perhaps your website or other means? Absolutely. You can check out our website, mayoralex.com, and you can see us on social media at Mayor Alex LA on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And if you want to send any questions, especially about uh, donations, contact info, uh, media requests, you can email me directly, alex at mayoralex.com. I look forward to hearing from all of you. Fantastic. Um, before we go, Alex, is there, is there a question that I should have asked that I didn't or anything you'd like to add? I think this has been a great opportunity. I'm very glad with the questions you asked. If people are curious of more details on policy, they can just check out mayoralex.com. We talk in detail there about exactly the specifics of our homelessness plan, about how we would work to bring more funds into social services, and about how we would stop developer special interests, for example, during events like the Olympics. So that's all on our website. and. I'm really excited to have this platform and this opportunity to share my policies and my campaign with all of you. Fantastic. Thank you, Alex, for being on the show this morning. Appreciate it. Hope to talk to you uh, again soon before uh, the primaries. Yes, absolutely. All right. Bye-bye. That was Alex Grunenfelder, who is a candidate to become the mayor of Los Angeles during the elections next year. Uh, thank you, Alex, for being on The Blunt Post with Vic. Uh, appreciate your time. Before we go, I want to thank my extremely talented producer, Ricky Herrera. And, uh, of course, thank you for joining me for another episode of The Blunt Post with Vic. Please tune in next Monday at 7 a.m. for another episode. For more information, you can visit thebluntpostwithvic.com. You can also follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Vic Jarami. Uh, both Instagram and Twitter, my handle is at Vic Jarami. That's V-I-C-G-E-R-A-M-I. Blunt Post with Vic.